0: Well, this morning, we're going to be looking into the word of God, and we'll start here in the psalm that was read, Psalm 139, and I'd like to begin with the word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege to study your word and to hear it preached and expounded. We ask your blessing on us at this time that you would indeed do that for us. Bless our hearts, give us understanding, and may we apply these truths then to our faith and our life with the Lord, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Many times uh, you've you've read and heard Psalm 139, often it's used for uh, the Sunday when we emphasize the sacredness of life that God has given to each human being, and you read that section where we are God's people even before we're born, God forms us in the womb. And that those who are in the womb are indeed real human beings in the image of God and deserve all the respect and protection that we can give them. And this indeed is a good use of Psalm 139. The reason I'm reading it today, though, is to a little bit broader. And it's the truth that God is immense. When we use the word immense, we mean that God is everywhere and at all times. And uh, that's a very general definition of what we mean by immense, uh, huge to the, a huge degree, uh, beyond measure, you might say. We know that in, in the psalm it talks about how God is everywhere. Uh, for example, if you look back in Psalm 139... Beginning at the first verse. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are equated with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So before things happen, God knows them. He controls the events that have not yet occurred. It's like God exists all through time. And then you go down to verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Here the emphasis is on all the places where God exists. Wherever you go, you see him, you hear him or he hears you it sees you rather. And he is Everywhere You can't go anywhere where his presence is not totally active. Uh, look down at verse 16. Your eyes saw me, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, even as yet there was none of them, When there was none of them. You notice in this verse that even inside the body of the mother as the child is forming God sees all those things. It's like modern electrical instruments that can doctors can put in and take little cameras and see things inside of you uh, to take out kidney stones or something. It's like, well, God is already in there. He sees all of that. And then look at verse 23. <clears throat> Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Even in your mind, the thoughts of your mind, which are invisible, uh, God sees them. So these verses they introduce the whole idea of God's immensity in space and in time. So my message has two, three major parts. The First, God is immense in space. Second, God is immense in time. And then third, how these truths help us. So looking at those Practical applications of that truth in our own lives. So, first of all, let's talk about God filling up all space. Some people think that God is sort of like a canister of nitrogen gas. You've got this canister, and it's got gas inside of it. And you look, if you were able to see all the little molecules of gas, you'd see them all in there bouncing around swarming around. And what happens if that tank can be slid, the sides can slide and you can pull it out, make it bigger. What happens inside of that tank? Well, the gas that's inside of that tank will expand to fill the whole volume. But it will be not as dense. It will the molecules will be farther apart. And if you have a thermometer you can measure it, it actually gets cooler. When it expands, it gets hotter when it compresses. That's because of the contraction of that gas or the expansion of it. And some people think God is like that. He fills all space because he's really thin. And, uh, and of course, that is not what the Bible says. It's not like God exists everywhere, but it's just a little bit of God here and a little bit of God over there. Uh, and maybe some spaces in between or something. No, God is everywhere present 100%. So it's not like a physical gas filling a tank. It's God is everywhere, but it's all of God is everywhere. Perhaps you've eaten at a crowded restaurant and you're hungry and the waitress is has six other tables she's taking care of. And you really want to order your dinner and get started. But it's like she's, you know, she sees you. Over. You know how waitresses sometimes, maybe some of you worked as waitresses, but uh, my wife did that when she was in college, but she had a skill of not seeing things. You could be waving your arms, you know, and everything, and somehow she could look right across and not see you at all. And it's because, I guess, of mental concentration. You know, thinking, they don't want to be distracted, and they're thinking about something, and so you have to wait to get the, the person's attention. And finally, the person comes over and says, "May I take your order?" And you're so happy now you can get your order taken. Well, uh, some people think God is like that, but he's not, is he? Uh, it's like every time you go to a restaurant, there's just one waitress just for your table. And she's waiting for you to take your order as soon as you sit down. That's more what it's like with God. God is everywhere with all of his attention. Um, some people say, well, suppose, suppose uh, everybody wants to talk to Jesus in, when you get to heaven. You have to wait in long lines to talk to Jesus. You know, it's it's sort of like that. And, of course, the answer is God can talk to all of us, and he can spend a lot of time and attention on each one of us. And he does that. That's because he is immense in space. Everywhere is, it's like he's all there, wherever you are. So right in this room, Jesus says, I am with you. When you gather in my name, I am with you. So you think about that. How many churches are meeting right now across the country? Of course, you have the different time zones, you know, but right now you've got the Pacific time zone. So we've got quite a few churches here uh, that are meeting all at once for Sunday. Well, I guess Sunday afternoon is a little different. Have to rethink that. But uh, all the churches, Jesus is in the midst of them. And a mere human couldn't do that. But God, with his presence everywhere is fully present in every place where his people meet. And he's here with us today. Just as if we were the only people in the whole world that we're meeting, that's how much attention we're getting right now uh, from the Lord. It's not like a guess. You might say, well, how do do we know God is everywhere? And uh, I could take you through several passages of Scripture. I'll just mention a couple of them. Uh, for some of you who are taking notes, I know, uh, one good verse is 1 Kings 8.27. 1 Kings 8.27. We don't need to look it up right now, but you can if you like, but it's when the temple was being constructed by King Solomon. I remember he prays, he says, how can you know, God dwell in this temple? He says, the heavens cannot contain the Lord. How can you dwell in this little temple I have made? that all the heavens cannot contain him. There's a passage I would like us to look at, uh, in particular here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23 and verse 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places, so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? These are what you call rhetorical questions, right? They're, uh, the answer is obvious, and uh, God doesn't need to tell us the answer because we know what it is. When he says, can a man hide himself in secret so God cannot see him? The answer obviously is no, that's impossible. Do not I fill heaven and earth? The answer is yes, obviously. That's what it's saying here. God does fill heaven and earth. He is everywhere, present and aware of everything that happens, wherever it might be. When the Apostle Stephen, or not the Apostle Stephen, excuse me, the first martyr, Stephen, was giving his testimony to the Sanhedrin he mentions that about how God doesn't just dwell in a small space, but he fills all heaven and earth. That's in Acts chapter 7, verse 48. When uh, the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Areopagus in Athens, he says that God is not far from each of us. This is Acts seventeen twenty-seven. God is not far from each of us. In Him, we do three things. Remember what that is? We live and move and have our being. God isn't far from any of us. We live in Him. We move in Him. We have our being in Him. We do all things that we do in God. He is everywhere with us. Now, this is a great truth about God. Sometimes that's called His omnipresence. He is present. Everywhere. And that's not a bad word. Some people raise a question about this in the Bible. Sometimes it talks about God moving from one place to another. And they say, well, how can that happen if God's already everywhere? That's an interesting question. Uh, For example, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven. Well, Somebody might say, well, does that mean he's in heaven and he's not here? And the answer, obviously, is no, he is here. The Bible very clearly teaches that. But in heaven is the place where he manifests or shows his presence, where his presence is most obviously seen. And it's the place uh, where the Bible places him in that sense. It's just like uh, in the Old Testament. There are several verses that talk about when they built the Ark of the Covenant, and you had the two angels on top of it, and it said, uh, and the Lord dwells between the cherubs. He dwells in that spot there. And again, it's not like He's not everywhere else, but this is where He shows His glory. This is where He wants us to direct our attention when we worship Him in those days. So there is a sense in which God's presence is everywhere, but it's not shown to us equally in every place. And that's obviously true as you go through Scripture. Uh, I like the, the way that the Tower of Babel story deals with the presence of God. You're familiar in Genesis 11, there's the story of the Tower of Babel. And all the people of the world want to get together and build this great tower that says the top reaches to heaven. Most people understand that to mean it's like a, a ziggurat and the, uh, these triangular shaped pyramidal Temples, and the top of it is where their god is worshipped. Has a temple up there, and they're building this great structure. And uh, all the people are cooperating as one to build this structure. You get everybody together, they can do great things, and uh, uh, it's amazing what can be done when everybody cooperates. So here they're building this thing, and their pride is swelling up. See what we can do. And there's that wonderful verse where it says, "And the Lord looked down from heaven." And he said, Let's go down there and see what they're doing. <laughs> and I always got a kick out of that because it's sort of like you're looking at an ant farm and you can't quite see what those little ants are up to and you're getting your magnifying glass out so you can watch what they're doing. So here they think they're building this great huge monument to their their own glory and God has to squint and look at it and say, What's that? Well I don't know that no, let's let's go down and see what that is. So it's like God is so much greater and more Powerful and in every way more immense than this effort of humans. And that's the way it's written up there in Genesis. Well, you read that, and if you take it in a a sense that God could not see what was down there, and he actually had to move down there to see what it was, uh, that that destroys the idea. That's, That's not a good interpretation. So a lot of times, God uses the language of human beings... In the language of appearance that we would normally use among ourselves to show uh, us by way of analogy or by way of a similarity, uh, what's really going on. So obviously, God knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, Matter of fact, he had ordained all that they were doing already. But uh, he speaks in that way to show us. Now, God is going to direct his attention and deal with this situation. And that's often used in Scripture as a term to visit. It says God will visit his people. It means that God will direct his activity now to a certain person or a certain thing. So when God visits us, it's the idea that he might bring judgment on us if we've been sinful and rebellious. Or he might visit us in blessing if we have been faithful to him. So that's the language that's used. But it doesn't mean that God really does move from one place to another or that he's not everywhere equally all the time. So that's God filling all of space. Now, I'd like to also see how, in Scripture, God fills all of time. It used to be thought, for almost all of human history, that time was just something that marched along all the time, I guess that's right. Time marches all the time. But time was something independent of space, something independent of everything else. It just kept going and going and going, and it didn't change, and everything is measured against time. And uh, the scripture, though, has some interesting expressions which seem to indicate that God exists apart from or superior to over time. And the time is actually one of his creations. Now, let's take a look here at. uh, Well, first of all, let's just remember the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You think about that word beginning. It's not the beginning of God. Because God existed. And then he begins something. So it's the beginning of the universe. In the beginning, God created it. The heavens and the earth. So there's a beginning and God is separate from that beginning. He was already active. He was doing things. And that was the beginning of something God was doing. You think about later in scripture in Deuteronomy 23, it talks about God or the eternal God is your resting place. It uses that expression, the eternal God. And there's a very famous passage we should look at. Uh, Psalm 90, written by Moses, the man of God. And in this psalm, Moses talks about God's relationship to time as as we know it. In Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Then verse 4, a thousand years in your sight, are but as yesterday when it has passed, or as a watch in the night. The Apostle Peter quotes that verse in 2 Peter 3, verse 8. And that's a wonderful truth we often talk about. God one day is like a thousand years with God. It's interesting, one day is like a thousand years. One day is like a watch in the night, which is three or four hours. And so, yeah, three or four hours equals a thousand years. One day equals a thousand years. You know, mathematically, two different things don't equal the same thing. So this obviously means that time for God is relative. He, he can shrink it down, expand it out. For him, he is not limited or bound by time like we are. You've all gone to the doctor and some of you have gone many times because you've been around for a long time. I remember the first time that I went to a doctor and I heard the expression, you are doing great for your age. <laughs> Do any of you remember hearing that uh, from your doctor? That's not what you really want to hear. You want to hear, I'm doing fine, period. But when they add that little expression for your age, you know there's something going on here. That the standard is being reduced in your case because you are getting older. And as you get older, your body starts aging. And uh, that aging process is, you know, you can maybe stretch it out a little bit. But it's pretty inevitable, isn't it? All of my great-grandparents are no longer on this Earth. and uh, all my grandparents are no longer on this. All my parents are no longer on this Earth. And if I wait long enough, I won't be either. And uh, uh, this is time, time has an impact upon us. But the Bible tells us very clearly that with God, time doesn't matter. You know, he exists apart from time. He can take a whole lot of time and just think, it's just, well, that's just a little bit. Or he can take a small amount of time and say, wow, a lot's going on here. You know, because that's true in the mind of God, he, what we call, transcends time. He is above time. Uh, turn over a few couple pages here to Psalm 102, verse 25. Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Even the universe itself says it's going to wear out like a garment, and pass away. God will replace this universe with a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And who knows after that what's going to happen. You know, God has lots of plans that we know nothing about. Uh, we, we have no idea what God has in store for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that uh, it's wonderful, and we will enjoy serving God. His servants shall serve him, it says in Revelation. Uh, Jesus himself said, before Abraham was, I am, right? So, Jesus exists as a man in time, in Palestine, in the first century. But as God, Jesus has always been and always will be all together. And so he can say, I am, before Abraham. Abraham, like 2,000 years before Jesus, Jesus was there with Abraham, before Abraham. So Jesus, as God, transcends time. He is above time. The title of God in Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was, who is, and who is to be. God is the creator of time. So as I said, it used to be thought that time was something that just exists all the time and never changes. But actually, the Bible gives the impression that time itself is the creation of God. And God can exist apart from time with no respect to time. So that means time had a beginning. T equals zero. <laughs> and... Uh, Christians have always believed this, at least uh, uh, Christians that thought about it, have always understood that God is above time. He transcends time. You can read this, for example, in St. Augustine at quite some discussion, quite some length in uh, his confessions and in other writings. And uh, you see it throughout the history of theology where theologians have wrestled with these concepts. It's only about 100 years ago, a little bit more than 100 years ago, that scientists have finally decided that time began. And uh, that bothers many of them, because who begins something? It's something outside of time. And this this whole idea of time having a start was was, uh, dangerous for secular, atheistic-type scientists. I remember reading an article by... Uh, The great astronomer, Hoyle, who uh, was himself an atheist and and opposed to the idea of God creating the universe. But he said in a book that he wrote near the end of the book, he said, uh, for the last several hundred years, scientists have been climbing up the cliffs of ignorance, reaching up to knowledge. And finally, they bring themselves up To the top, they pull themselves up and look over it. And there is a circle of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) And uh, I love that paragraph. I've often quoted it to my students. But uh, that's right. If you believe God's word, uh, you have an inside track on some of these great truths about time and eternity. God fills all of time just as God fills all of space. And the two are related together as God's creation. We don't have to have Einstein to tell us this, although he did, uh, but uh, the Bible was there a long time before that. So I'd like for us to think for a few minutes then what can we gain from these truths? First of all, and I have several things just to, to think about. First of all, this means that God hears all our prayers. Wherever you are, God will hear you. Think about Jonah in the belly of the fish under the sea, praying in Jonah chapter 2, that wonderful prayer. God heard that prayer and answered that prayer. You think about suffering Christians in dungeons, forgotten by everyone, uh, dying of hunger and neglect, praying. God is there. He hears Their prayers you think about yourself uh, as you're driving down the road in your car. And if you're praying to the Lord, he hears that he's there with you. He hears it. Uh, We often pray when we sit down to a meal or when we go to bed at night. God is there. He hears those prayers when we pray in church. God hears. He hears all our prayers whenever they might be made by whomever they might be made in whatever place. And it's not just he hears it, but he hears it with all of his grace and all of his love and all of his attention to answer according to his best will. This is a wonderful consolation and encouragement for us in our prayers. We also know from this doctrine that the Holy Spirit can indwell every believer Every believer, wherever you are, God's Holy Spirit indwells you. He motivates you. He gives you ideas. He he leads you away from temptation. He gives you strength to witness for him. He gives you the gifts of holiness and goodness that we need to grow in grace. This is true wherever we are. If you are living here in America or if you go on the mission field or into very dangerous places, God is there helping you, indwelling you. God is with us as we worship him. Today we'll be taking the Lord's Supper. And it's a wonderful thing that whenever we take the Lord's Supper, we are not only taking physically from the cup and the bread, but then spiritually, by faith, we feast on Christ in a spiritual way and are strengthened by that. And this can be all over the world at the same time with every individual believer. He can protect us wherever we go. Uh, many uh, veterans have, have told how in times of danger, everybody stops being atheists and starts praying. And uh, that's because that there is some basic understanding that we have that God is there. But we know as we are Christians that he is our loving father and he has promised to protect us. And keep us wherever we are. And if it's our time to go to be with him, he will bring us to himself in safety and in glory. If it's our time not to, if we are to live longer, he can protect us from all evils. He protects us in all stages of our life. From the little unborn child that we read about in Psalm 139 to the old person that we read about in Psalm 90 and other places. God is with us through all of our life. You know, I've often visited nursing homes and here is a, someone in their 80s uh, and they're always just there. But their family hardly ever comes to visit them. The uh, Last time they saw some child or, or other relative was months ago sometimes. And there's a lot of loneliness and. Uh, It's good for us to know that if other people forsake us still, the Lord is here with us. He's in my room with me and uh, I can talk to him, have fellowship with him. He is able to pursue and judge the wicked. It's interesting at Psalm 139 at the end of that psalm, how he says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. uh, Those who hate you. You And uh, God is aware of what the wicked are doing and God will. As it says, God hates them with a perfect hatred, and he wants us to have the same feelings that he does. We're not supposed to uh, hate in the same way that God hates others, you might say. But we're to share God's attitude towards sin. And when he does judge sin, you know, uh, we give our thanks to God for his justice, even in that situation. So God will judge and he knows what's going on what people are doing against him. And finally, since God is the God over all space and time, we know that when Jesus says you will have everlasting life, that God will always be there to make sure that we do indeed have everlasting life. He won't quit after 10,000 years. And then we have new management that has a different policy. It won't be like that at all. But God will continue to exist all through time. So we as God's creatures, we never escape time. We don't become eternal like God is. We will always, I often say, uh, we, we will be in with God forever, but we never will have been with God forever. You know, however long we're there, it'll still be a finite time. Ten million years, whatever. But it will go on indefinitely into the future. It will never stop because God is eternal and he is not limited by time like we are. So we can rejoice in God's immensity as we worship him, as we obey him, as we trust in him, and as we love him. And thank God for his great His great presence through all space, through all time and throughout our lives. Let us pray.